0: Great to be with you again for this, the second part of a four-part series on the question, what is worship? Last week, uh, what did I say last week? Worship, <laughs> can anyone remind me? Compass. Thank you, worship is a compass. Today, worship is a party. And next week, uh, something else. Uh... <laughs> I've been discussing, I've been discussing in my own mind whether it should be worship is a classroom or worship is a gym. I think I've decided worship is a gym. Let me pray for us. How wonderful it is, Father, that we can draw together in the name of Christ this morning to learn from you, to celebrate your work, your gifts, your presence, and uh, to encourage each other, to spur each other on to love and good deeds. Please may this hour together be uh, an enormous blessing to us so that we might bless others. For Christ's sake. Amen. What is the greatest threat to the church in the West? If you read some blogs or explore some conversations, you might think changing standards of sexuality in the West is the greatest threat to the church, but I'm not sure that it is. Our numbers in lots of places are in decline, but is that really the greatest threat we face? Can't God do something with small things? Is persecution now or potentially in the future the thing that we most should fear? Well, it will certainly make our lives uncomfortable, but whether it's the greatest threat to us, I'm not persuaded. I actually think that one of the greatest threats to the church in the West is the loss of the doctrine of the Trinity. If we lose our faith in God, the Holy Trinity, we lose our distinctiveness as Christian believers, and we just become God-fearers like everyone else. And the threat is real. If you speak to people in the US, uh, you'll hear often this argument that the next wave of liberalism is coming out of mega-churches who have so stressed user-friendliness being as close as you can to the culture to make the bridge between non-Christians and Christians as easy as possible. That giving up the Trinity is one of the costs they've pursued in order that people might come to church and find it a friendly place. The Trinity is too philosophical or complicated. Why not give it up and make the bridge easy for people to join us? But it's not just in the US. Uh, Churches in Melbourne face this often. I was once, once a few years ago in a church where I spoke to the guy who was sitting next to me after the service and I said why do you come here? He goes well I'm a Christadelphian. A Christadelphian doesn't believe in the deity of the sun but the, he was an older brother as it were. He said I'm a Christadelphian. I love coming to this church because I can sing all the songs. Ouch! <laughs> I don't know whether anyone had kept a record of, of songs sung in that church and whether they were naming the Lord Jesus Christ sufficiently or whether we were just adapting psalms, which we should do, but need to complement those psalm songs with other songs that name the deity of the Son and the deity of the Spirit. And if we lose the doctrine of the Trinity we lose our distinctiveness as Christian believers one of the great costs will be in terms of our worship the impact on what we do when we gather it really day by day in your local church week by week will be enormous now if we believe in the holy trinity god father son and holy spirit our worship will be celebration and participation In the life of God. Listen to these words from uh, Hebrews chapter 9, verse 14. The writer has been explaining how we might understand the blood of Christ. And he, I'll read from verse 13: The blood of goats and bulls and the ashes of a heifer sprinkled on those who are ceremonially unclean sanctify them so they are outwardly clean. How much more then? Will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal Spirit offered himself unblemished to God, cleanse our consciences from accident to death, so that we may serve or so that we may worship the living God? Did he see in verse fourteen how the outcome cleansing our consciences so that we might worship and serve is based on the blood of the son and the ministry of the eternal spirit so that we might worship god the father can you see in that verse densely put not drawn much attention to the doctrine of the trinity the father son and spirit together work for our own opportunities To praise we can't worship unless the Son has cleansed us and the Spirit as love makes a way if we don't have the doctrine of the Trinity our worship is insecure because we're never quite sure that our praises our prayers will reach the throne without the Trinity our worship is an insecure work never sure if it will be effective. For all worship is a response, not us trying to break through to God, but our worship is a response to God breaking through to us through his Son and by his Spirit. He's the one who's made the way of access But you might hear song leaders in churches not getting this quite right. Often the song leader between songs or between sets will position music as a way of reaching God, that our praises are building his throne as if he didn't have a throne already to sit on, that we've got to make the effort through our intense devotion to create the throne, and then we can be confident that he will be present amongst us i was once in a prayer triplet uh, this was some years ago with two guys and one of the guys found praying i suppose quite difficult he would get up in the middle of the of the of the period of prayer and pace up and down the room now i don't mind you putting your body on the line in your praise or your worship it's actually i think what we need to do But in his own theology, he confessed that he thought praying was about creating the kind of intensity that would provoke God to hear. Or it might be that uh, if you're from a Roman Catholic background, you've been taught that Mary and the saints are the bridge between your own personal life and the Lord Jesus, who's very distant. Often in Roman Catholic churches or cathedrals, Mary will greet you above the main door. I am really persuaded that unless we are careful about the words we use in church services or the songs we choose in church services, we can easily turn worship into a work. And that will be a disaster because then you'd go to chapel because it's your duty, not because it's your delight. Calvin says this in his commentary on Hebrews, it's Christ who leads our songs and is the chief composer of our hymns. Christ is worshipping and we're just joining in. He's the one who's leading us and providing all the access we need. But one of the assumptions, of course, is that God is distant and somehow the bridge has got to be built. Forgetting, of course, that the wonder of the doctrine of the Trinity is that God can run the world and be involved in the world at the same time. Not one or the other. And you and I are connected to God every day of the week, every hour of the day, every minute of the hour. We don't have to create Access. We are always connected. So I'm reading from Ephesians 2.18 in a passage where Paul speaks of the work of Christ creating a church. But notice how he describes our life as the church in verse 18. For through Christ... We, that is Jews and Gentiles both, have access to the Father by one Spirit. We have access to the Father through Christ by the Spirit. As God's people, we are formed and shaped and live within the life of the Trinity. We're not coming to church to plug in. It's not like your battery ran low You're almost at zero. You have to turn up. You're not really wanting to, but you have to charge somehow. So you come and you plug in and then you go away. The rest of the week is running the battery down. That's an unhealthy way of thinking about your personal Christian life. We don't come together in chapel to access God in a way that we hadn't before we arrived or after we've left. It's not like... We need each other's support together to achieve that outcome. No, we're always plugged in if we believe in God, Father, Son and Holy Spirit. We don't come to church to plug in. We come to church to celebrate the deep things we already share. Those who worship most know how little work they have to do when they turn up. The worship is not a means, but the ends, to just enjoy the deep things we have with the Lord and with each other, as that second half of Ephesians 2 goes on to explain. And therefore, celebration can seem, or worship can seem, kind of wasteful. We're not doing it for another end, we're just doing it because we're doing it. And enjoying ourselves in the process. Tim Costello used to be the pastor of St Kilda Baptist Church. And I remember him telling this story once years ago. The middle class people in his church used to get very resentful of the working class people in the church. Because the working class folk in the church didn't mind spending money on celebration. They had no point other than just celebrating a birthday probably with a few ciggies and a bottle of rum as well. And the middle-class folk thought that this kind of celebration for no other purpose was such a waste. But he liked reminding those more middle-class folk in his congregation that those who were celebrating and costing them, right, in, in dollar terms as well as time terms, perhaps had understood something about the Christian life That the middle class folk had not. The celebration is end in itself, and it's kind of wasteful, but kind of wonderful too. Without the Trinity, our worship becomes a work. But with the Trinity, our worship has warmth because we can participate in the life of god it's not just that we're celebrating god's goodness though we're doing that we're also celebrating and participating enjoying his life of which he has made us a part last week tim was in dubrovnik and watched the croatia france game on uh, a big screen it was a big screen right you went in a hotel There were large screens in Dubrovnik where crowds gathered. And that was no, no doubt a wonderful opportunity, a wonderful occasion. But it's still not the same as being a player in the team. You can watch from a distance, or you can be on the ground and enjoy the moment there. And friends, we are players in the field. We're not observers of the life of God from a distance. We're connected and close. And you might have noticed that in Matthew chapter 3 from our reading. In verse 13, we learn that Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to be baptized by John. But John tried to deter him, saying, I need to be baptised by you, and you come to me. There's something a bit weird about this Jesus, so I think I ought to be the recipient. Jesus protests and says, No, let it be so now. It's proper for us to do this to fulfil righteousness. There was some bigger reason why Jesus asked him to be baptised by John, and John consents. As soon as Jesus was baptised, he came up out of the water, At that moment, heaven was opened, or in Mark's version, heaven was ripped apart. Something cosmic is happening. He saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove. The Son has been baptised. The Spirit descends. And the Father speaks. This is my Son, whom I love. With him I am well pleased. Father, Son, and Spirit are working together. And they're not just working together. They're inserting their own name into the story of Israel. For this chapter, chapter 3 chapter 4, for that matter, is full of allusions to the life of Israel in the Old Testament, most particularly as the people pass through the River Jordan to enter the Promised Land. So Jesus is being baptised in the River Jordan. He's owning in his own life the story of Israel, the story of the nation into which he is now an active human participant. Jesus, with the help of the Father and the Spirit's ministry, is now a part of the lived life of the nation he becomes one of us but then interestingly in matthew chapter 28 when jesus is giving his disciples instructions he asks us to be baptized in the name of the father son and spirit he's become part of our story and in the instructions in Matthew 28, we're being asked to become part of His story. We're being baptised into that name in the singular, the name of Father, Son and Spirit. We are now banking in His account. We have now become part of that eternal party that is God, the Holy Trinity. Jesus, in His baptism, inserts Himself into the story of Israel and in our baptism, we're inserted into the story of the, of the Holy Trinity. Or if you like a quotation from Jonathan Edwards, as I'm prone to, hear these words which describe how Jesus came to be one of us, that we might enjoy God. For God having from eternity, from his infinite goodness, designed to communicate himself to creatures... The way in which he designed to communicate himself to elect beloved creatures, all of them, was to unite himself to a created nature, to become one of the creatures, and to gather together in one all elect creatures, in that creature that he assumed, into a personal union with himself, and to manifest to them and maintain intercourse with them through him. He's become one of us, so that we might join his fellowship, uh, his celebration, his party. Now we don't do very well, I think, in in constructing church services, thinking about the nature of the Trinity. Uh, Calvin suggested that the first third of a church service should be concentrated on the Father, the middle third of a church service concentrated on the Son, and the last third of the church service concentrated on the Spirit. You start with the Ten Commandments and you end with Uh, the communion and being sent out in the Spirit's power. But you could do it otherwise than through structure. When we say a creed together, we're owning the story of the Trinity. Or if we say things out loud, we're participating, not just observing God, but participating together in his worship. Though I'm not sure that this hymn by Isaac Watts nails it. For when he writes... When I survey the wondrous cross on which the prince of glory died my richest gain I count but loss and poor contempt on all my pride we're observing we're surveying the cross but we're distant we're a long way away and God the father and the spirit are not mentioned in the hymn but an ancient hymn the hymn of St Patrick does this brilliantly I bind unto myself the name, the strong name of the Trinity, by invocation of the same, the three in one and one in three, of whom all nature has creation, eternal Father, Spirit, Word. Praise the Lord of my salvation. Salvation is of Christ the Lord. Or one of the other verses in the hymn, Christ be with me, Christ within me, Christ behind me, Christ before me, Christ beside me, Christ to win me, Christ to comfort and to restore me. Christ beneath me, Christ above me, Christ in quiet, Christ in danger, Christ in hearts of all that love me, Christ in mouth of friend and stranger. We have to beware the songs we sing and remind ourselves that we need to be teaching the doctrine of the Trinity through the shape and the words of our church service. Now, my goal in this series Uh, is to help us think theologically about worship. We don't worship and therefore eventually come into God's presence. We are His temple. We are the body of Christ. We're already connected to Him before we turn up at chapel. But we come together because we want to celebrate the deep things we share with each other and with Him. What is worship? It's a party party. God the Holy Trinity is the host and we are the guests who've been invited to share close friendship with him now and forever. Amen.